No? Stephen said I was good to go there. I, I hear me. Okay. Well, remember like back in April, I had shingles on my face and it went in my cornea? Well, I've got what I call the shing eye because it messed with my eye. So I just want you to know that in order for me to read what I'm saying, I have to choose read what I put or see you. And so Auntie told me a really good story just before we came in, and I thought, you know, this is why the Lord gave me this shingai, so that when I speak, I'm speaking my love to him, about him. And I'm really emotional, so I brought my tissues. I've got my cough drops, because you all know I cough a lot. I have my hot tea, just in case. And um, I'm going to have to take my glasses off. So now you know I cannot see you. So if I'm talking and you think, oh my gosh, she's looking right at me. I really don't even see you, you know? <laughs> so I'm not really looking at you. But if you're feeling something, maybe the Holy Spirit's saying something to you. I don't know. But it's not me because I can't see you because I can't do it in order to read this. So anyway, a few weeks ago or so when we did the Titus no, was that when we did the Titus 2? When Pat taught us that, kind of that little warm-up. So um, I'm going to make a statement about myself. And then if that is also you, you have to raise your hands and you have to say, that's me. Okay? We're going to do a practice round. Very, very good. Corley gets the prize. <laughs> So say it loud, because for some reason, I always get the after-lunch group who's in a coma. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, well, we got to do something to wake them from this coma that they're in. So here we go. I grad... Oh, wait, I haven't told you yet. <laughs> I graduated from Blue Ridge High School. Wait, I know there are more of you. Car Raise your hands. I can Remember, I can hardly see you. That's me. Okay, we see a few. Now, I want to clarify this one. I'm going to say this next statement. It may be you, but then, well, anyway. I married my high school sweetheart. Now, you may have married him and then divorced him. You can... <laughs> I have family here with me today. I enjoy fishing. Very good. I want to have a deeper walk with Jesus and surrender my life to my Lord. Amen. So Kim said to me, not, well, like a few months back, oh, and you're going to talk about for better or worse. I said, wait a minute, I talked last year. I thought you didn't ask me to talk. Somebody else was going to, I did it last year. And I I w did it like on the fly the year before. And she said, oh no, I maybe I just said it in my head, she said, that you were going <laughs> to, but you're going to do for better or worse. So for better or worse, that was my topic. And um, so I couldn't think of any for better or worse story than the book of Hosea. And 
I'm real uncomfortable kind of doing some of those Old Testament prophets because, you know, I am not a pastor who took all the classes and knows how to, you know, interpret. You know, I just have my very simple little interpretations that, you know, the Lord gives me um, as well as, who's my good friend in the book? J. Vernon McGee, me and J. Vernon McGee, he gives us those simpler interpretations. So we're going to go ahead and go with kind of what I learned from the book of Hosea. And I've gone kind of back and forth whether I should read this because it can get long. And um, I think I am going to read a little bit out of Hosea. So I'm starting in Hosea chapter 1. And I'm actually going to read out of the New Living Translation just because it's a a little bit smoother off the tongue for me. The Lord gave this message to Hosea, son of Beri, or Beri, during the years of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Joash, was the king of Israel. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute. Now that's already sounding like the worst part of things. Um, so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. Um, This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. And the Lord said, Name the child Jezreel, for I am about to punish King Jehu's dynasty to avenge the murders he committed at Jezreel. In fact, I will bring an end to Israel's independence. I will break his military, its military power in the Jezreel Valley. Um, so when you look up there, and Jeroboam, son of Joash, is the king of Israel, he is in that dynasty of King Jehu. Soon Gomer became pregnant again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to Hosea, name your daughter Lo. See, I figure I can mess this up because you guys probably don't know it either. Lo <laughs> Ruhama, Lo Ruhama, which means not loved. But I will no longer show love, for I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them. But I will show love to the people of Judah. I will free them from their enemies, not with weapons and armies of horses and charioteers, but by my power as the Lord their God. After Gomer had weaned Lo Rumuha, She again became pregnant and gave birth to a second son. The Lord said, name him Lo-Ami, not my people, for Israel is not my people and I am not their God. I'm going to skip that last little paragraph and move over to Hosea 2. Starting with verse 2. But now bring charges against Israel, your mother, for she is no longer my wife. I am no longer her husband. Tell her to remove the prostitute's makeup from her face and the clothing clothing that exposes her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her as naked as she was on the day she was born. I will leave her to die of thirst as in a dry and barren wilderness. I will not love her children, for they were conceived in prostitution. Their mother is a shameless prostitute and became pregnant in a shameful way. I said I will run, she said, I will run after other lovers and sell myself to them for food and water for clothing and wool and linen, and for olive oil and drinks. For this reason, I will fence her in with thorn bushes. I will block her path with a wall to make her lose her way. When she runs after her lovers, she won't be able to catch them. 
She will search for them but not find them. Then she will think, I might as well return to my husband for I was better off with him than I am now. She doesn't realize it was I who gave her everything she has, the grain, the new wine, the olive oil. I gave her silver and gold and she gave all my gifts to Baal. And now I will, I will take back the ripened grain and new wine I generously provided each harvest season. I will take away the wool and linen clothing I gave her to cover her nakedness. I will strip her naked in public while her lovers look on. No one will be able to rescue her from my hand. I will put an end to her annual feast, her new moon celebrations, her Sabbath days, all of her appropriate festivals. I will destroy her grapevines, fig trees, things she claims her lovers gave her. I will, tell them grow, I will let them grow into tangled thickets where only wild animals will eat the fruit. I will punish her for those times when she buried incense, burned incense to her, her images of Baal. While she put on her earrings and jewels, and went out to look for her lovers and forgot all about me, said the Lord. The Lord's love for unfaithful Israel is the title of this one. It says, and then I will win her back again. I will lead her into the desert. This kind of becomes the for better part. So all of that was the for worse part, you know. It's like, that sounds like a really horrid thing that Josiah had to do. But this part, and then I will win her back again. I will lead her into the desert. See, this, I knew I was going to be emotional about this. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the tr valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. I will give herself, she will give herself to me there as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from captivity in Egypt. When the day comes, said the Lord, I will, you will call me, my husband instead of my master. O Israel, I will wipe the names of Baal, Baal from your lips. You will never mention them again. On that day I will make a covenant with all the wild animals and the birds of the sky and the animals that scurry along the ground so they will not harm you. I will remove all weapons of war from the land, all swords and bows so you can live unafraid in peace and safety. I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine, and you will fondly know me as Lord. In that day I will answer, said the Lord. I will answer the sky as it pleads for clouds, and the sky will answer the earth with rain. Then the earth will answer the thirsty cries of grain and grapevines and the olive trees, and they will turn all answers. Jezreel, God plants. At this time, I will plant a crop of Israelites and raise them for myself. I will show love to those I called not loved, and it will to those I called not my people. I will say, now you are my people, and they re will reply, you are my God. Hosea 3, then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again, even though she committed adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So I brought her, bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. And then I said to her, you must live in my house many days and stop prostitution during this time. You will not have relations with anyone, not even with me. This shows that Israel will go a long time without a king or a prince or without sacrifice, sacred pillars, 
priests are even idols, but the afterwards the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord their God and to David's descendants their king. In the last days they will tremble in awe of the Lord and his goodness. So I kind of debated whether or not I should read that because it is long, but if you've never read it, I wanted you to have kind of an idea of where um, the call that the Lord gave to Hosea. So before I get started, um, I really want to stop and pray. Oh, my Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would come. Father, that the words that are spoken, that each woman would hear it in a way that is applicable to her. Speak, Lord, into the hearts of these women. Father, I pray that there would be change in our lives, that we will walk away from here different, that we will walk away here with our roots deeper, that you will bring healing into our lives. And, Father, that our commitment will be to you and you alone. And we just give you honor and glory, my Jesus. Amen. So, the, the book of Hosea can be divided, kind of books one through, through three, and that talks about a faithful husband and an unfaithful wife. And then, they're not chronological, they're kind of cyclical. Um, it seems like it's not... You're going along, and then all of a sudden it jumps to something, then it comes back, and so it's kind of a cyclical, those first three. Chapters 4 through 14 Hosea is Hosea's message to Israel, and it's about a faithful God and an unfaithful nation. So the call for Hosea was um, to go and marry a woman of whoredom and have children of whoredom, and that is the picture of what's going on in the nation of Israel at that time, and I mean, I think we could probably say in many nations, including our own nation. Hosea means salvation, and that's a picture of God. For Gomer, it means completion or failure. Sometimes I think a complete failure. And she is a picture of the nation. So God is wanting, and he did this in several of the Old Testament prophets I had read that, you know, that they, they're living their lives as a picture of what's going on. So I want to just kind of give you a real quick little history. And this is things that I kind of researched and gleaned, is that on a timeline, Hosea takes place around 1,500 years after Abraham, 700 years after the Exodus, and about 300 years since David reigned. Um, we know he's the son of Barry. Why, you say? Because he said... Hosea, the son of Barry. So now we know he's the son of Barry. Um, most think that he probably was formally trained in scripture um, because he relies heavily on knowledge of the law and the Old Testament in a way that most people of this time would not have known. And um, he began his ministry at a very young age. He was at marriage age. And he was a prophet for about 50 years. Okay, we're, and I see, I didn't understand this the first few times I read Hosea. We're at a time in history where the promised land has been divided. So remember, there's 12 tribes. Ten of those tribes are rejecting David's lineage, and they form what's norn, known as the northern kingdom. And we call them Israel. 
And sometimes they, I've seen them called Samaria or Ephraim. Um, the other two tribes, they stayed in the southern part of the Promised Land, and they stayed true and faithful to the line of David, and that was Judah and Benjamin. And so we refer to them as Judah. So I always got it kind of confused. I'd hear them say Israel and Judah. Well, I thought they were used interchangeably, but they're actually talking about ten different these ten tribes and these two tribes. So during this time, the kingdom of Israel is who Hosea is actually called to preach to and to prophesize to. Um, they're doing really well. Um, it's almost like a golden age for them. Financially, they're doing great. Agriculturally, they're doing great. The people are really making out up there. They're having a pretty good life up there. Except for the fact that there's still political and spiritual turmoil going on. And <coughs> <coughs> let me get the cough drop out. Um, they are really dead on the inside the kingdom of Israel. They may look like things are great on the outside, but the inside is dead. They have no love for the Lord. They've gone from bad to worse since they moved away from the line of David. So Jeroboam I, um, he had built a new place of worship, and he wanted to break away from, Is from Jerusalem, so he built this new place of worship, and he put golden calves at the beginning of the temple there, at the front of the temple. Now, you would have thought these people would have said to themselves, this is probably not a good thing to have these golden calves there. When we had a golden calf problem, you know, a couple hundred years back. But really, those golden calves were really a picture of their hearts. They're, they were not straying by accident. Um, they were intentionally wicked. Um, they were pursuing other lovers. They actually made Baal worship the official religion. Um, and they were intentionally running from the Lord. So, And this is what Hosea was called to prophesize to. So the problem, an unfaithful wife. She needed to stop with the adultery. She put her trust and affections into her other lovers. And you know your sin, it's gonna, you're going to end up naked with lost everything, and your choices will impact the people that you love the most. See, our kids and our family will eat what we're sowing at home. Um, when you're running after other things, um, it's, it's going to be a sin that just leaves you empty. So Hosea's there with Gomer. They have the first child, and they name him Jezreel. This is Hosea's child, because it says it's Hosea's child. And um, God says that he is going to um, punish the house of Jehu for, because of the bloodshed that was shed in the Jezreel Valley. That's why they named the child Jezreel. And so that, that lineage of Jehu is going to be destroyed, which includes Jeroboam, who's in power right now. Gomer conceives again, and this child, Lorumaha, no mercy, is not Hosea's child. She's gone to prostitution. This is not his child. 
a third time she conceived this child as well is not Hosea's child. Um, Lo Ami, not my people, for you are not my people and I am not your God. So Israel, like Gomer, was unfaithful and went back to practicing prostitution. And God is using that as a picture, Gomer's sin as a picture to the nation. See, Hosea marries a girl who becomes a harlot and she goes back to prostitution, but Hosea still loves her. Like our Lord still loved the Israel. So I want to talk about the worst first. That's kind of the history in a nutshell. But in this story, because I like to try to apply it personally, then now all of that prophecy, how does that like fit into my life personally? Because you can read the Bible on so many different levels. Just in case you were confused, we're not Hosea, we're Gomer. Just in case you thought maybe the other way. Um, so I want you to kind of close your eyes and think about your life. Think about it 10, 15 years after, maybe after Christ came to you. See, when I read this book in the Bible and I put myself in Gomer's place, and I look back over my life, it's like I see one of those old movie projectors and they pull out the, the, the reel and they put it in. It says Susie's life. Um, not my life before Christ, but maybe supposedly after I gave my life to the Lord. And there were things that I had forgotten that I had said, done, and thought. Um, there I was chasing after things of the world. I desperately needed the approval of man, and sometimes men. Um, there are things that are too shameful to share, or things that are too stupid to repeat. And I saw in the movie me turning back to an old way of life, but then the more I watched it, I thought, maybe I'm really not turning back to an old way of life. Maybe I never really left that life. See, I didn't really think I was doing anything so wrong. Um, and I think part of my problem early in my Christian walk was that I never really thought that I needed to ask for forgiveness of sins because I didn't have a strong conviction um, that of how lost I was. And I compared myself to other people and I thought, hey, I'm not that bad. You know, I don't really look that bad compared to some. And I didn't really know or understand that Jesus redeemed me. And, I mean, I heard the words, but I didn't think in those days that I was really walking that bad. You know, it was almost like hardly worth mentioning some of the things I did. You know, and some of them, well, you know, Lord, I had to do that to get ahead. You would have wanted me to get ahead. Um, and I can remember thinking back in those days that there's a part in my heart that I will never give. Because if I give that part of my heart, then I'm going to be hurt. So I need to hold on to this so that I don't get hurt. If I hold on to this part of my heart, um, I can always save my life if I need to. 
But Jesus says in John 12, 25, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. I couldn't save my life. Only Jesus could. And my early years, that was all about self-preservation. I didn't want to go to hell. And so my early years lasted a long time. Um, I was one of those sucking on milk baby Christians forever. Um, I would say they lasted probably from 1968, when I first started getting worried about heaven and hell, until 2016 when I moved back home. Um, I think maybe those years should more appropriately be called my lost years, my wilderness years. Because it was when we moved back to Lakeside that I began to question my salvation, my relationship with the Lord. Because, see, I really could look the part. I had it down well, the part. But I knew in my heart what other people didn't know. I played the whore a lot in my heart. And people couldn't see that because I was pretty good at putting on the show. My own sister-in-laws who live with me half their lives, they would have said, no, never. I was super good at playing that part. And I think about Gomer. I think one of her big problems was she just wanted it her way. Maybe she didn't really see a problem with the life she was living. That prostitution, that was just like a side gig for her. She was getting the things she wanted, maybe. I know that's how I felt, that I'm just getting the things I want. Revelations 3, 16 through 17 says, So because you're lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I'm rich and I've prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. That was me. I didn't need anything. I was pretty self-sufficient. You could look at me and say she had it together. In Amos 5, 21, 24, he's actually, Amos is actually speaking to the northern kingdom. He was another prophet that was called to prophesy to the northern kingdom. And he was warning them about their behavior. And he says, I hate, I despise your faith. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me um, your burnt offerings, your green offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of fat and animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. But let justice roll down like water and righteousness, like an ever-flowing stream. See, I was still going to church. I had a solemn assembly going on. I'd pray for forgiveness and turn around. My burnt offerings, my green offerings, my peace offerings, but I'd turn around and just walk the way I wanted to walk. Um, and what's weird, this is so weird when I look back on it now, I did not like to go to church until the praise and worship portion was over, so I was always the last one in the building, and when the last song started to sing, I would get up to leave. Now, why did real worship of my father, of my Jesus, why did that irritate me so much? Well, I think it speaks about the heart that only my Lord could see. See, here's what I realized, and this is nobody's fault, really. I was just in a place where when I 
really became aware that we needed a relationship with the Lord, no one fully explained to me the, about the whole sin thing. See, if we, ha- we cannot commit a life to God until we've dealt with the sin issue. If you didn't hear that, you need to hear me say it again. We have no life to commit to God until we have dealt with the sin issue. See, I never really dealt with the sin issue because I wasn't raised in a church where they taught you, you know, just as I am is going to play and you're going to walk down the aisle and they're going to tell you about your sins and, you know, you're going to ask for forgiveness and someone's going to help you understand that. I wasn't raised in that kind of a church, so I never really dealt so much with the sin. See, because we are still dead in sin and trespasses unless we deal with that sin issue. And it took me so long to see that. Hosea 4.1 says, No steadfast love, no faithfulness, no knowledge of God, no righteousness. That was me. And really it was the steadfastness part. I, I don't know, had I died back in those days, I, I think I did make like I wanted to be a Christian. I just didn't know how. Um, Isaiah 29.13 says, And the Lord said, because his people drew near with their mouth and honored me with their lips while their hearts were far from me and their fear for me is a commandment taught by men. That was me. You know, I was raised in a church where any commandment you had was given to you by man. And that's what you got afraid of. It wasn't a fear of reverence and awe. It was a fear of hell. And I didn't want that. You know, that was, I was smart enough to know that wasn't the place to go. That was me. I know that you are an offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. John 8, 37. See, I didn't want to kill the Lord, but how many times did I try to kill the word if it was different from my word? And yet doesn't John 1, 1 say, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God? See, I didn't think I wanted to kill Jesus, but every time I was killing the word, who was I killing? You know, it didn't find a place in my heart. And here's my buddy, J. Vernon McGee. He states that the greatest sin is unfaithfulness to God, who has redeemed you and loved you. There is no greater sin. And I think that's where I was. You know, it's like I knew I didn't want to go to hell, and I, I knew the only way not to do that was to you know, make this commitment to God, but I never dealt with the sin issue, so how could I commit a life that I had never dealt that with? So now, remember that icebreaker we did at the beginning where you stand and put your arms up and say, that's me? So I don't want you to do that, but in your mind, I want you to think silently. Is any portion of that you? Has that been you? You know, has any part of what I said been you? But now the second part of what I get to talk about is the better. And I praise my Lord. I praise my Lord that there is a better. So the other part of this story is about a God who never leaves. He never leaves us. See, God loves his people. And I'm so thankful that God's love is not dependent on our love for him. The love my God has for me is not dependent on the love I have for him. He loves me no matter how great is his love. 
Ephesians 2.4 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Kim used this verse yesterday. Nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8.39. 1 Kings 8.57 says, The Lord our God will be with us as he was with our fathers. May he never leave us or forsake us. And he doesn't. Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, even when I was that milk-drinking baby for 48 years, God still loved me. And of course, then Toby Mack, he as well, in his song, Love Broke Through, said, I did all that I could to undo me, but you loved me enough to pursue me. Oh, praise you, Jesus, that you pursue me. I was running after other things, and it was God who pursued me. You know, you can run after things, and the world says, look at her. Isn't she a good woman, a good daughter, a good mother? Isn't she a good wife? Isn't she a good American? And they're not the things of God. And I think um, there's a lot of things that look good to the world, but if we don't stop and say, Lord, is it what you want, it's not a good thing for you. So the Lord says to Hosea, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man, an an adulteress, even as the Lord loved the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. Now that sounds kind of weird, and they love raisin cakes. (laughs) But (laughs) I had to kind of look this up. Raisin cakes were tied to the worship of other gods and considered an aphrodisiac, and it shows the lust for pleasure. So isn't that true? Wasn't it true of me? I don't know if it was true of you, it was true of me, that it showed my lust for pleasure. Whatever was good for Susie. And the Lord said, therefore, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyard and make the valley of Achor, which means trouble, the door of hope. And there she will answer in the days of her youth. And in that day, declares the Lord, she will call me my husband and no longer call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of Baal from her mouth and they shall be remembered by name no more. And that's Hosea 2, 14 through 17. So God told Hosea, to go back and love a woman, to love Gomer, who turned her back on their relationship, who walked away from her husband, who chased the things of the world. And you know what? I love it that the Lord said, go back and speak tenderly to her. You know, I never heard the Lord say to me, get over here, you dirty dog Susie. Chasing after all the things of the world, chasing after all those other idols that you put up there in front of you, He never called me like that. He called me in softness. He called me in gentleness because he knew that would break me. And it's so funny, I was sharing with Karen yesterday. I moved up here back home in 2016. And I was saying what an influence he 
Satan has had on my life. Not that she ever preached to me or said anything to me, but I could see her genuineness, and I knew I didn't have it. I knew I didn't have that genuineness that Kim had. And it, it was a softness, and it was, a, it was the way the Lord showed me, you can be gentle here, Susie. You can be genuine here, Susie. And he still loved her. God, God still loved Israel. God still loved me. And Hosea still loved Gomer. In Hosea 2, 19 and 20, it says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, to, steady, to steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. See, I will always be his. I know that now. When God, you know, and I wrote this actually this morning, because this part, because, you know, Kim never told me what she was going to talk about, and Ashley never told me, and I never told them. And yet so many of our verses that we use are the same. And so I know when God repeats a message that it's important. And so if you've heard, you know, verses several times, go back and read them again. Because when God uses his word, over and over, he's speaking something to us collectively. Hosea 2, 3, 3, 2 says, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. And so I learned something yesterday from Kim that it's actually 30 shekels that is the bride price, typically. And Hosea's going to go buy her for half that. See, she wasn't even worth the full bride price. I can honestly say I'm not even worth the full bride price. You know, but still, Jesus, he came and he paid that price for me. He paid it more than 15 shekels. He paid it with his life and his blood for me. And the only thing I have to do is say yes. It's all I have to do. So do you remember when I told you that there's a part in my heart that was only going to be mine. I held on to that part for a long time. Didn't give it up to anybody. Not my children, not my husband, not my parents, not my Lord, because I didn't want to be hurt. Well, the Lord wasn't going to have that. He would not be having that nonsense. And he's been breaking that down little by little, gently, softly, quietly, because he knew that would be what would break me. And I can say it's maybe been the last two or three years that I've really timidly been able to say, I want to surrender all to you, Lord, because I know I can trust you. And my husband says to me, you don't trust anyone. Well, now I can say, but I do trust me. There's one I know I for sure trust, and that's my Lord. Sometimes I struggle with the words, um, but it's been less and less. And I thank my Jesus because he still pursues me. He is pursuing me. Psalm 62, 8 says, Trust in him at all times. 
a people, pour out your heart before him. God is our refuge. And Kim I've, I'm, and um, Karen, I've heard her say this several times because I've been in that group, and I've heard her say this several times. It all comes down to trust. My biggest issue, trust, and it all comes down to just trust. And the Lord's been showing me you can trust. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Do not harden your hearts as in Meribah, as on the day of, I'm sorry, Massah in the wilderness, Psalms 95.8. Do not harden your hearts as in rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, Hebrews 3.8. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion. So my last words, what are you waiting for? You're going to wait that 38 years like me? One of the songs Delaney sang this morning, it said, um, how'd it go, Delaney? Something like, God numbered our days and how many of them I've wasted. I don't want to waste another day, not another day. So I used to feel this pounding like in my heart. And the Holy Spirit would be saying, you, Susie. And I would quench that spirit real quick, and I'd say, not me, Holy Spirit, not me. What wasted years. God loves us, and he's waiting for that relationship. There are many women in this church who would be willing to pray. If you want prayer for a deeper walk, if you want prayer for healing, prayer for forgiveness, Prayer for a loved one. I want to give you opportunity for that. So Delaney, I'm going to have her just play a song. And I know sometimes it's hard to get up from your chair. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is if you want some prayer and maybe you're, you feel shy to ask for it, just to put your hand up, someone will come and pray. And you can just tell them what you want prayer for. Or you can say, it's just something I want to keep to myself, but would you just pray? So I know that there are women that if you see a hand go up, Corley, I know you will pray. Kim, that you will pray. Ashley, um, this three group right here <laughs> in the front, Remember, I can't see, but I know there's bodies there. <laughs> anyway, if you feel comfortable praying and you see a hand go up, please go to that person and pray with them. And I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes. Delaney's going to play one song. And it's funny because last year I did this same thing, and this lady came up to me long after it was over, and she asked me to pray for her. And I told her, I'm going to put you in my prayer journal and I'm going to be praying for you. And Sharon just recently had told me the results of that prayer. So, you know, if you're shy, it's okay. I understand that. But I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And those who want prayer, lift your hand up and someone will come to you.